Hello, I'm Greg Howard Jr., and this is Don't Make This Weird, the podcast. Each week, I invite a special guest to talk about their life, news, politics, and anything else that may come up. Head over to the Patreon, where you'll get the random questions game, a secret from my guest. You get some merch for being a loyal patron, and you get this uh, whole episode uncut and without this bit about joining the Patreon. So head over to patreon.com forward slash springbreak83 productions to join now. I am here today with one of my favorite people in the entirety of the internet. Um, she is quite famously known as that team Pete lady um, in some circles. Um, I know her as the boss lady of the Biden Digital Coalition. You may know her as the host of Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe on Fireside. Um, I am super excited to welcome my guest this week, Dr. Laura A. DeVoe. Hello. Thank you so much, Greg. I'm so happy to be here. I'm telling you, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time since you asked me. So thank you very much. No problem. Um, I do have to start with saying um, thank you to you. Um, because had you not reached out to me to join the Biden coalition, I wouldn't have actively been using my TikTok for anything, which would not have led to this. Um, so for anybody that's listening that. that hates this podcast, uh, it's Dr. Laura's it's my fault. fault. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you said that because one of the things that I try is I had a, f- a friend uh, who said to me, there is nobody who's a better networker than Lord. <laughs> and I said, that's nice. I didn't realize I was like good at it, but I like to be a connector. I see myself as more of a connector than a networker. So that makes me happy. So thank you. No problem. So tell everybody, how did you get involved in the Biden digital coalition? How did that start for you? Yeah. So um, thank you uh, again for that question. And thank you. I love, I love a good origin story. So uh, <laughs> let's, we'll go there. Um, so as you said, in the introduction, um, during the primary, I was with the Pete Buttigieg campaign and, and I was, I, I did uh, several things. Um, I, I live in Massachusetts. So uh, me and a friend became kind of the we just took on the co-leads for the state. We just said, we, we're going to do this. We're going to get this, this mayor that no one's heard of, at least on people's radar. So, and hopefully win the New Hampshire primary and, uh, and beyond, right? And so New Hampshire, because we had a lot of volunteers and they went up there. So I did a lot of on the ground stuff in New England. Um, and then I really pivoted my... Um, my Twitter account to make sure that I was kind of linked in. And one of the things, if you follow the Pete Buttigieg campaign at all, um, one of the things that their campaign did really well was they kind of positioned members of the Pete uh, <clears throat> staff as uh, these online surrogates for the campaign. So Stephen Smith and Roderick Applewhite and, and uh, a bunch of other folks were, were very present online. And that got me connected to the national uh, folks and uh, the Pete campaign 
under Stefan's uh, leadership, um, created this digital captains program. And I was lead in the digital captains program. And when uh, Pete left the race, uh, there was, uh, I noticed a big gap in the Twitter sphere, especially uh, of the Biden campaign. And uh, a couple of other folks, uh, including uh, Caitlin Gilbert, who was the digital um, uh, for the Biden Digital Coalition, she handled all of our um, our data work. Uh, we were saying, what can we do? What can we do? Because we're, we're actually formed a group here and we we're actually good at it. And so uh, Ben Cobley, who uh, was working for Biden at the time, um, he connected with us uh, all in like, you know, depends on who you talk to, but there was a whole bunch of different people all kind of trying to connect with the Biden campaign all at the same time. And so the, the leads for uh, the BDC came together. Um, it was me, Caitlin, uh, and um, so it was a, a whole bunch of us. <laughs> Um, and so we, we all kind of came together and uh, created this organization. And what I like to say is we were campaign adjacent. Um, we weren't necessarily part of an official wing of the Biden campaign, but I really wanted us to be, and, and it wasn't just me who said this, it was like the, all of us um, said, you know, we want to be able to do our own thing and we want to be able to do all of the, the kind of things to support the campaign. We don't necessarily want to have to ask permission all the time. Um, and so long story short, and I'm making it longer, um, is, uh, is that when it comes to, uh, you know, kind of what are some of my strengths, uh, one of my, my big strengths is organizing and, uh, strategy. And so when we were trying to put together what everybody's role is with the BDC, um, things that I do all the time are training strategy and organizing. These are things I do in my real world work, in my volunteer work and all that. And I said, I can take that role on with the, with the BDC. And, um, you know, it was for us to kind of all have our own role. Um, and I think it actually worked out really well, um, because, uh, people all had a defined space, um, and, and we're able to, uh, you know, kind of get done what we needed to get done. So I've always been curious, um, by, by the end of it, how, how many, how many of us were there? How many people were a part of this internet army? Yeah. So, um, we had at the end and I just looked at it because I'm working on something else with the, the DNC, uh, right now, um, to get people, uh, involved and I'll, I can talk about that more later. Um, but it was, uh, one of those things that we had formally 500 ish people on our list, um, at the very end, when we were just like, just add people to the Slack, add people to the Slack, let's get more people in here. We're probably more than that. Um, and we didn't necessarily have everybody, especially the last two, three weeks. Um, but, but I, it was over 500 people and some people were more, more, uh, involved than others. Uh, we had leads in each of these different categories. Um, and so, 
you know, we, we had people who were leads in, in developing content. We had people who were leads in developing, uh, you know, doing our data work. We had people who were leads doing policy and rapid response. So people all had different roles. Um, and then people who were uh, volunteers in each of those areas also took on as much as they could. Um, we even broke it down at certain points, as you know, because you were on our TikTok team, we had people on specific platform teams and um, that allowed for us to really kind of permeate into, we had people, you know, I always like to remind people is that we had folks on Pinterest, which some people are like Pinterest. That's what I use to, you know, plan my meals for the week. How is that political? And what you don't really understand is that uh, uh, Pinterest is an aspirational platform. And people who are on Pinterest want something better. They want either better food, a better looking living room, a better paint (laughs) choice, whatever it is. Right. But also if they see something and they say, oh my God, this is great. Excuse me. My dog is scratching the chair behind (laughs) me and it literally sounds like Daisy. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a shit storm anyway. um, But anyway, so it, it allows for you to be aspirational, allows for you to look to the, to the future and allows for you to see some things that are better, right? And so isn't that what politics is all about? You want things to be better, right? And so we had a wonderful lead uh, in that space uh, who kind of really took on not just the essence of the campaign, but the essence of the platform and made made sure it was working uh, for what we were doing. So, you know, some people were all over every platform, which is fine. But what I tried to do and what we tried to kind of push that idea of become a specialist in that in one or two platforms. So you be so you're better at that work. So like Natalie, who was our head of our Pinterest team, she could do other platforms. She knew other platforms, but she was an expert at Pinterest and really, I think, elevated what we did there. Um, the TikTok team was, I mean, absolutely phenomenal, right? And we were getting some of our, our videos were getting seen over a million times and like more than that. And like, like you know, I know nothing about TikTok. I can watch the little numbers though <laughs> and I could see what's happening. And then there's people like you and like TikTok grandma and all of our folks were on there who are like, oh, wait a second. If we do this and we, you know, we duet it and we do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what you're talking about, (laughs) but it's working. Right. And, and I think the thing that I am the most proud of with the BDC, not only that we were successful in reaching in each of these platforms, but one thing I constantly would say to folks and, and all of the, the, the BDC leads and directors and everybody would say, be your authentic self. There are other teams of people out on the interwebs who are part of, you know, we like to call resist Twitter and they're great. And I'm not saying they're not good people and I'm not saying they're not doing great work. Um, But one of the things that they've decided to do in many of these efforts is send consistent messaging to a point that it is copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. I'm all about consistency of message. I'm all about consistency of spirit. I'm all about consistency of values, but I'm Laura DeVoe. Okay. You're Greg Howard, how you're going to say it and how I'm going to say it are two very different things. All right. And it's going to connect with different audiences. 
And so that was something I constantly said, because people would say, can you tell me how I should say this? I'm like, well, how would you say it to your neighbor? How would you say it to the people? Like, I want to make sure I'm doing it right. You doing, it's one thing not to understand it and have to like, kind of, you know, figure it out and say, all right, how do I make this complicated thing? Something that's more digestible. That's fine. I get that. But I'm not going to say to you this. No, no, no. Let Don't use that word. Use this word. You know, like, no, if you say shit all the time and everyone knows <laughs> that shit's your favorite curse word, then use it. OK, right. it's fine. OK, I'm not going to I'm not going to censor your your favorite curse word. OK, um, and say, you know, you really should have used motherfucker there. You know, like <laughs> that's that's not what you're supposed to do. Like, do what you do, what you should say. Okay. In terms of like, how would you have that conversation with folks, um, on a regular basis? Right on. Um, I will say, you know, like you said, to the point of being your authentic self is that, you know, I, I was on the TikTok team and we, we were able to take things that were provided to the BDC by the campaign and turn them into understandable and digestible kind of viral moments for, you know, the, the TikTok um, demographic who, who were the younger voters, you know, like most, I want to say a good majority of our membership on the TikTok team was like under 30 this was probably their first election and like they were right. they were into it right right and and i think one of the things we also had was like lydia daniel who was our co-director for um or one of our directors and she was our 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 lead for all content and she had an unbelievable ability to she's a marketing background. She works in advertising and marketing. She lives in New York city. She gets it. Okay. So she came from the Warren. She was team Warren and then came to the BDC. There were some team Pete people came to the BDC. We even had some team Bernie people came to the BDC. So, so that was the other nice thing about the BDC is that you had people, you, had, you know, you had K hive, you had people all over the place coming in together. The only team I keep always saying this is that the only team we never could get anybody from was Beto. Um, but you know, we had all these people come in and came with, with a singular purpose, which is we need to win this campaign. Okay. And people were really open to, uh, kind of becoming part of this unified voice and this unified message around Biden. Um, And, you know, and Lydia had an unbelievable eye and ear for what was relevant and real. And she knows, like, I mean, I was always stunned by her level of expertise. Not that I didn't think people were good at their jobs, but she was so dead on about a certain content and the development of content. She ran it like she ran our, our, our content team, like a, like a, uh, an advertising agency and really got it. And, and so when we would put out content that was, okay, what, what platform does this work for? So you would get it to the TikTok team and it was specifically not just formatted for TikTok, but also, is this going to work on TikTok? Because so what's going to work on TikTok is not going to work on, say, LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, we didn't have LinkedIn, <laughs> but but you know, but it's going to be a different kind of feel, right? 
And, you know, that idea of who was our TikTok team, for the most part, our TikTok team were young people, just like you just said, who this was their first campaign. This was something they felt extraordinarily invested in and they wanted this to work. And they had some great ideas, which also fed how Lydia led that team, right? And so DC worked is that, yeah, I was the face at times, like I would put out all the announcements and I would do the trainings and I would do that kind of stuff. And I was, I was a verbal voice, but, but there was people like, like uh, Caitlin who did the, all of the data stuff. If we didn't know that the stuff was working, then you're just literally screaming into a void right? She and her team would be able to say, okay, this is working on these platforms. We know it is. Some of the platforms, it was harder to determine than others like Facebook because of the the Cambridge Analytica mess in 2016. It's all locked down. And so you can't get all of the scraping of the data done that you really would want. But we knew based on just like anybody with a Facebook page um, and a personal account, you can tell, oh, I shared that picture of my dog and it got shared 14,000 times. Why do people love my dog so much? Well, but you know that because that's your account, right? So there would be some things about it that were like, well, we know from the BDC account, this has been shared this many times. And uh, we had Stephanie Wilson was our lead for Facebook and she was able to tell us, okay, this is working. These are some of the frustrating things about Facebook, et cetera. You know, so we were able to have good leadership in so many different spaces that we were then able to come back to the campaign and say, we know it's working. Plus, they were watching what we were doing, right? And so we would give them data, but they also knew based on on what they were getting. Um, And when it came to messaging, we were very clear um, about what we had to do at the end about, it's about COVID, it's it's about COVID. It's about COVID. And, and we need to lead, lead our way through that, which I think right now is what the GOP is doing is flipping that narrative. They're saying, see, they don't have COVID under control. And I'm like, well, because you don't want right. it under control, but that's a different story. So have there been discussions about reviving the BDC for 2024? Um, I haven't had those conversations. I'm happy to, you know, uh, work with whomever. Um, one of the things that I'm working on right now, uh, after the BDC, uh, you know, after the election in November, um, I did get hired by the Ossoff campaign. So I actually drew a check, which was really (laughs) exciting. Um, and I got to, um, do work that was uh, related to the BDC uh, kind of work um, uh, for the, the, the for the runoff there. And it was um, because of my relationship with the folks from the Biden campaign, they they people reached out and said, we'd like, you know, now they're working for the Ossoff campaign. Love to have you come join us. And and here's a here's, you know, and, and you get to get a staff T-shirt. I'm like, yes. OK, um, but it's it. I think when as we move forward, one of the things that um, I've been doing is I've been trying to find a niche uh, for political activism uh, that would allow for me to continue to help people find their voice and their agency. Um, that is actually something I feel really strongly about. Um, and training uh, folks to to work on their own. I can't just do it. I, I'd love to see a bunch of little BDC-ish uh, organizations popping up 
uh, in states and regions because it's totally scalable. What we did was absolutely scalable. If you were having, like, say somebody running for school committee, which is so important right now because QAnon is running for school committee everywhere in the country, we need to be able to do something that's scalable in your town so that we can get the word out. And maybe you're not on all those platforms, but you can be on platforms that are going to kind of get the word out in your community. So that's really where I'm trying to be the most useful. Um, and, uh, I'm working, uh, right now in very, uh, early stages with the DNC. There's some organizers, um, that I came to know working for the Pete campaign and for the Markey campaign here in Massachusetts who are now, um, it just so happens two people who I think are just fabulous are actually working together, um, <laughs> didn't know each other. And now they're together. I had nothing to do with it. And I found out, wait a minute, they're both working together. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, and so, uh, we're trying to build out an army of, uh, folks, uh, doing, doing work, uh, to get, uh, communities together around phone banking, friend banking, um, on the ground organizing. Um, and I'm going to kind of noodle my way in a little bit on that social media stuff, because I think, and my last point on this is, you know, for folks who don't know anything about me, I'm a 54 year old suburban woman. Okay. And white as the whiteness of my white. Okay. And one of the things that we talk about are these suburban women, Okay, regardless of race, but women in the suburbs and where are they? They're on social media. And um, I think if we actually create um, an environment where people actually know how to mobilize these these um, platforms well, um, ranging from everything from the Nextdoor app all the way to LinkedIn and Pinterest and TikTok, we actually can make things happen, but you can't just be screaming into the void. You have to have a, an, a strategy um, and it's not that hard to teach. And um, I'd be interested in doing more of that. Right on. So switching gears a little bit, um, being that you were team Pete during the primaries um, yeah. and he has gone from mayor Pete to now I call him Secretary Mayor Pete. Okay. What about um, Secretary Daddy Mayor Pete? Now he's, that's right. he's a daddy now. That's right. Oh, yeah. Con- yeah. Congratulations there's, to them on I that. Know. And, and there's a lot of Pete people who right now listening to this are going through <laughs> Pete like withdrawal because he's been, you know, radio silence for the last basically two weeks. And if plus, and they're like, when is he coming back? <laughs> I'm like, Shush, let him, let him be a dad. That's right. Um, do you feel like his um, candidacy for president has kind of shined a new light on the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure yeah. Week? Yeah. Um, so one of the groups that I'm involved in, because, you know, I'm involved with too many things. <laughs> like I literally we just like I just said earlier, we just moved and. I, one of the things I've ordered, I've ordered for this office that you're looking at me in is, is I have bins for each of these things. <laughs> so I'm like, I need a bin for this. I need a bin for this. And one of my bins is, uh, the, uh, is called build the era. And so if you go to www of folks who are predominantly former Pete people, but we do have some Biden folks who along the way during the campaign were like, I kind of get like this guy. And I'm like, yes, you do. Um, and 
Uh, so it is a group of volunteers who are trying to amplify uh, the work of the Department of Transportation and, um, and as well as infrastructure uh, needs. And one of the things that's great about uh, Build the Era is that we have a couple of folks on our advisory board who are actual transportation experts. Um, these aren't just Team Pete people who like to ride trains. These are people on Team Pete who actually understand how trains work and how rotaries work or excuse me, roundabouts and why roundabouts are important and why roundabouts actually help and, and all the reasons of the roundabout <laughs> and they understand public transportation and they understand, they understand all of this stuff. Okay. And they've worked in transportation. One lives in uh, Washington state, the other lives in Maine. So it's like the two most pol- polar parts of the camp, pol- uh, country, but we have these experts who are able to lead us in trainings um, so that folks can understand what's going on. The great thing about that is that unlike in a campaign, we record all of our trainings and all of our events and put them up on our YouTube page because in a campaign, you're not going to do that. You don't want the world to know what your plans are and all this. This is all advocacy. So it's a little different. Um, the other thing that's different about advocacy is advocacy never, never finishes. A campaign finishes. Okay. Um, advocacy goes on and on and on and on. And so it's, it's a little different in terms of how urgent stuff is. Um, so in the last month or so, we've been putting a lot of work into, uh, doing, uh, email campaigns and things of that nature to get behind the infrastructure, the bipartisan infrastructure plan. Um, but, we, you know, it's not the same as a campaign. There's not a vote um, and a winner at the end. Okay. Um, while yes, it could pass and it's going, you know, and the, and the hope is that we're going to move this thing through, but what it looks like in the end is not exactly what it looked like in the beginning. Right. Um, and so what we are doing is we're working with folks um, so they can become educated in, you know, what, what does this mean for Massachusetts versus what does this mean for Kentucky? And how do you work with your local leaders? Because what folks don't understand, and I'm a front end user, I am not an expert on, on, uh, on, uh, transportation or infrastructure. I think it's sexy. I love good infrastructure because, um, you know, I live in a great neighborhood where I can walk out my door, stay on a sidewalk everywhere I'm going. There are bike lanes. There is like protected bike lanes. I mean, like I live in like stuff that nobody has, right? Like I know I'm super fortunate to have that. Um, and, and it's not only sexy, it actually creates a better quality of life. It's, it makes it better to live in a space like that. Right. But what people don't understand is that if the infrastructure plan passes and all this money is coming in, governors can say, nah, you know what? I don't want it. I don't want the money. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. What, what do you mean we don't want the money? I think we need the money. Have you seen the back end of my car? I've had to get my shocks replaced how many times because we've got so many holes in the street and we don't have money and you know we don't have a bridge that's in good shape or whatever. And I think Pete being in that role, it allowed for it made sense. Like when I heard from people from the campaign who we still all are in touch and we DM each other and all this kind of stuff, because we're weird. Um, (laughs) and you find out and, and we're super committed to Pete's Pete's kind of values. Right. And they say, of course, there's a group of Pete people who started build the era. Of course they, because that's a play on his win the 
era. Like yeah. Pete always talked about, we need to win the era. We don't just need to win this, this election. We need to win the era. And so is if we can get behind him and we want him to be successful, but we also see this as this is about quality of life. This is about all of us having better, better lives across the country. And it will impact climate. It'll impact equity. It'll impact jobs. There's so many reasons that this is important. Um, and, you know, so I think he's, he's also just a great spokesperson for everything that's going on in this administration, because he might go on meet the press to talk about the bipartisan infrastructure plan. And they're going to ask him about whatever's happening that day. And you can't stump the guy. I mean, you just can't. Um, and so, uh, he's, he's great to have out there and, you know, I will say this, that, you know, when I speak to members of my family, especially like my dad and my stepmother and my dad's about to turn 80 and my stepmother's like in her late sixties and like, well, it's nice to have someone out there who's a good spokesperson, a nice young person who knows what they're talking about, you know? And so it is, he's a real smart guy. I'm like, yes, yes, he is. Um, and these are things that he's, I think he's, he's an easy sell in some ways, um, in terms of, look, he's capable, he's competent. Um, and the other thing is, I think honestly, mayors get it because mayors have to deliver at a level that other elected officials don't. And he understands what it means to be a front end user, but he also understands what it means in the back end to say, no, this isn't, this is, this system isn't working. And how you request this to get better uh, services to our cities through the government doesn't work. How do we make that better? As a mayor, I had to jump through 18 fiery hoops to get something done. How do we improve that so that people get better services on the front end? So while we're talking about um, Infrastructure Week and infrastructure, uh, we're going to go to a listener letter. Um, and you've kind of already touched on this listener's question, um, but it comes to us from Tanya in Wisconsin. Okay. And she would like to know if she is the only person in the country who doesn't think Infrastructure Week is a big deal. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that are a big deal, right? And, and Tanya being in, in Wisconsin, go Badgers, um, as somebody that um, may not feel it at her, at where, where she's at, because Tanya may have other desires. Like I know people who say, why isn't opioid addiction on the front burner? And why aren't we talking about that every damn day? Why aren't we talking about, um, doing more for, for voter access and for all of the voter suppression stuff that's going on. And why isn't that happening? There's, there's all of these, um, conflicting demands, because let's be honest, it is a, a steaming pile of, oh my God, right now. Right. And at this point, this is where strategy comes in. And I'm not somebody who's, you know, I'm not sitting in the Oval Office or even near Washington, D.C. right now saying this is the priority stuff. But if you look at things through the lens of somebody who, you know, I've managed major crises in my career, right? And when it comes to a crisis, you still have to function in the, you got to keep the other stuff going. So you may have literally a fire happening, Okay. But at the same time, you need to make sure the other aspects of what your business does is, is continuing to go. 
All right. And so what the strategy may be right now is where are we going to get some wins that actually impact people where their pocketbook is, where their sense of uh, self is, where people are able to feel safe and, you know, their roads are better and I've got a good job. And there's all these things that get wrapped up into infrastructure. There are some people like I love infrastructure. My husband, on the other hand, he like literally like, I can't believe you get so excited about this crap. Um, and it, and he's he's more about it's the economy, stupid. He wants the economy to be in good shape. He's an economy guy. OK. And he's like, well, I want I want the infrastructure plan to happen because I want to see jobs because jobs put money into the, into people's pockets and then people buy stuff. So that's good. All right. And. For Tanya, I don't know what matters to Tanya. I don't know if Tanya is a single mom. I don't know if Tanya is uh, trying, you know, working three jobs and isn't able to pay uh, making a, a good living wage at any of them. I don't know if Tanya walks out of the, her apartment every day and is subjected to racial epithets. I don't know what's happening in Tanya's life. And I always say to folks, um, I can't tell people how to feel. I am never going to say to somebody, your feelings are not warranted. I am never going to say to somebody, your feelings are, are not important. And so when someone says, I don't think infrastructure week's a big deal. Great. What is a big deal to you? What matters to you? And when you look at what infrastructure week might be for other people, it, it may not actually live up to their expectations. They may want more bold things. They may want flying cars. They may want <laughs> things that, that are not happening right now, despite what the Jetsons told us was ha- going to happen. Okay. But I think that, you know, when people say this isn't important to me, okay, then what is? And, and that's how I find connecting with people is important. And I, I, I put that in the back of my head. And just like you said earlier today, when we start our conversation, I may not remember everybody's name. I'm, I'm awful with names. I literally am the worst. I have like awful, but I knew remember quality and I remember spirit and I remember what matters to people. And when you're able to connect somebody with something like, so for instance, uh, as an example, uh, president Biden had a, uh, which, which I will say props to the Biden administration. Cause they do all these little live things all the time where join us now for this. Okay. Yeah. And it could be Jen Psaki. It could be Biden himself. It could be Kamala Harris. It could be, it could be whatever. Okay. But you can actually kind of get a glimpse into what's happening at times. Right. And so yesterday, President Biden uh, was talking to folks down in the uh, Hurricane Ida um, zone. And one of the things he said was uh, what they've done is they've worked with the cellular companies so that if your company's uh, cell towers are out, you will be on roaming and automatically move to whatever is working. Okay. Which I was like, that's great. Like that's, that's something that when he said it, I'm like, that's important stuff. 
And I have friends who are down there and I have friends who have children at Tulane University and at some of the other schools in the area. And they were like, we, we were, you know, I said, and I reached out to them. I said, did you hear this? Make sure they know that they can turn on roaming and they can make sure they pick up. Oh, we had no idea. That's as great. And those are the things like people like you actually reached out to your friends with kids at Tulane. I'm like, yeah, I did. Because as a parent, you want to know that they're safe, right? But I'm also doing this and I'm not going to say I don't have ulterior motives. <laughs> My ulterior motive is, did you know that he's got his shit together, that this administration has their shit together enough that they made this, they anticipated that people can't get connected. I mean, I remember what it was like on 9-11 and yeah. every freaking phone, to, you couldn't get on a, on a cell phone anywhere in, in the, the Northeast corridor. I remember right? that the internet was terrible that day too. Yeah, everything. But you learn as you go along, as you respond to crises, you learn, you're like, okay, we've we got to remember about the cell phone problem. Let's figure, what are we going to do? Um, and, and you learn as you go along when you're dealing with this stuff. So for a lot of people, um, when they hear infrastructure, they only think about roads and transportation. Um, what is something that's encompassed in infrastructure that may surprise some people? I always talk about the jobs and the climate. Those are the things that I think are really important. And then the, the last thing I, I bring up is about this awareness around equity and what hasn't been equitable, right? And so those are the things is that you know, we talk about hard infrastructure. That's what's in this package is this hard infrastructure. What's coming up in the reconciliation bill is all of that. They're calling like human infrastructure. So things around, you know, uh, being able to bring your child to um, preschool or have elder care. Like I live in a place that like just right across the street, I have an um, uh, city housing for uh, elderly folks. And, you know, it's one of these things, those things are important right? But we don't consider that infrastructure. And I think that we're not quite there yet from a, a political standpoint in legislation and to say, we're going to categorize this as infrastructure. But I like that people are calling it human infrastructure. But in, in the actual infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill or plan um, is you know, that idea of, you know, jobs are important. And I, my background is education, higher education. And I always say to people that, you know, not, not everybody needs or wants a college education. And a lot of the jobs that are associated with, or most of the jobs that are associated with this bipartisan infrastructure back package is our jobs that are good trade jobs that pay well, that are union jobs that are going to be able to not only pay a living wage, but put you in a situation where you have jobs for, for decades and are able to retire at a normal age and be able to enjoy your life. That's amazing. And so that idea of what, what are jobs and what are out there, um, climate, we need the, the, one of the things that one of my, my colleagues on the bill, the era, Jonathan always talks about is in this bipartisan infrastructure package, there is actually a section called climate, climate crisis. That is the first time that has ever happened. And while this may not be everything we need for climate, you need to understand is that 
in order for us to even act on climate and a lot of these things, it has to be part of this, this package to start so that the first domino can fall and we can then get going. Like we haven't been able to get going because people aren't even acknowledging that the climate crisis is real. Right. And then when you look at, at equity is that, you know, you, every city, every town, I don't care if it's the biggest of cities or the smallest of cities, you know, those neighborhoods that got cut, whether it be a road or a elevated um, highway or whether it be the, the transit system, it just cuts down and destroys a neighborhood. And I love the fact that it is, it is part of this to consider how are we going to long-term and short-term fix what was wrong? And this goes beyond the infrastructure package. Uh, these are things that are happening right now in the Department of Transportation to say, if you want to, if you want to apply for this grant, you have to show how it's going to affect climate and how it's going to affect equity. And they want to start to right some wrongs here. And I think that's super important. And, and we can't just be sitting here going, oh, we need more lanes and roads. That's going to help us. It doesn't help. As soon as you open up another lane, that just means more traffic in that thing. And it's just going to be the same. And so I think, um, you know, that idea about entrepreneurial thinking, where are we going and how is this actually going to be an improvement in not only our lives, but in the lives of the, 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 the children now and the, the, when they become adults and their kids, et cetera. This is about sustainability and what it's going to look like long-term. So we are fastly coming up on the dreaded midterms. Yes. Um, Is there or are there particular races that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, I'm somebody who, because of where I live, um, I live in Massachusetts. And so when it comes to like midterms and stuff, it's a little different around here. But when it comes to the national races, um, I mean, right now I'm really focused on California and Virginia. Those are the two things I'm really focused on. Those aren't midterms. Those are like immediate. Um, and then, uh, want to make sure that we hold on to Raphael Warnock and Mark Kelly's spots, um, is so important because we, people don't realize is that those were, those were special elections. Like, so they've only got, you know, they've only got to the next election cycle to get through this. Um, I think that it'll be interesting to look right now at 2022 and what happens with the redistricting and how that's going to affect every state. And that's where the strategy is really going to come down to it. I tend to be somebody who's more pragmatic. I tend to be someone who is, when I move into the, into the super progressive area, it typically has something to do with children, women's health and, you know, reproductive health and, uh, you know, areas there. So I, I'm kind of an issue area person when it comes to prag, when it comes to where I land, whether I'm more pragmatic or I'm more progressive. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily say we need to, to primary people, um, who are, uh, winning in their state. Okay. Now, that being said, right now in Massachusetts, I am all over primarying Seth Moulton because I am done with his shenanigans. Yeah. Okay. I am, I'm really am. I'm done with his shenanigans. And I, who, if someone wants to primary him, I'm happy to help. 
organize your, your volunteers because this is, this is, he, he puts the lens on himself. Yeah. Um, I think there are some opportunities for us to really work on uh, messaging. I'm quite concerned about Florida. Um, I'm, I'm super concerned about Florida. Um, and reason being is we lost a lot of, um, we lost a lot of, uh, headway in Florida this last time around. Um, and people are saying, let's look at what happened in Georgia. Let's look at what happening in Wisconsin. Well, Georgia didn't happen overnight. And they're like, well, we can do what we did in Georgia and Florida. And I was like, so who's the, who's the titular head of this? In Georgia, it was Stacey, it was Stacey Abrams. It continues to be Stacey Abrams. She's got an amazing organization that is getting this done, not only because they're doing it, but because they're partnering with other organizations, okay, in the state who know the state. I don't feel that way about Florida right now. I don't necessarily feel that way about, about some of the other battleground states. And that is where, when I'm thinking about 2022, I'm not necessarily talking about you know, one candidate, I'm really talking about the, how are we positioning ourselves strategy wise and understanding what we have to do state by state. The other thing that I feel really strongly about based on what I've seen, and this is, I am, I, one my other show on fireside is the kitchen table and it is uh, on Tuesday nights at seven 30 uh, Eastern time. And it is a way for us to have conversations about politics, about organizing and about activism. And I want to move people away from being this like political hobbyist into someone who is actually a kitchen table activist. And when you have kitchen table activism, you also have to understand is what works in your town, what works in your state are going to be different than what's happening in another town or in another state. And there is not necessarily a plug and play kind of way to get this done. You have to actually do the work in the town and know, or in the state and know how it's going to be received. And you, you have to, you have to understand that you can't just say, well, we're going to do what we did in in Georgia and apply it to Florida. We're going to do what we did in Georgia and apply it to Arizona. That's not how it works. Um, and I think we, we do ourselves a disservice there. Um, and so I know that doesn't answer your question, but what really, (laughs) what I really want to see in 2022 is feel like we came out of 22 with a great organization nationally and say, the people running things in Wisconsin, no Wisconsin, the people running things in Arizona, no Arizona. And it's not necessarily that they have to be locals that I, I think that helps, but they have to be committed to that state and like stick it out and be there. And so that way we're not restarting things all the time. It just feels like we're restarting and we're restarting and we're restarting. And I'm like, I wish we didn't have to do that. Yeah. And to your point, I feel like that's a lot of the reason right before the um, Georgia special election, where a lot of the people on the ground in Georgia were telling people in other states, do not come here. Yeah. If you, you want to call in, yep. if you want to, you know, do stuff right. from your place, do that. But and and that was actually one of the, the team I was on for the Ossoff campaign was focused on out of state. And we were really intentional with people saying, okay, do you, are you out of state and do you have any connection to Georgia? 
Because if so, let's put you like, so for instance, you worked for Delta Airlines for 25 years and you were based in Atlanta and now you're living in Ohio. Fabulous. We're going to have you do some friend banking, which is different than phone banking. Friend banking is you come up with your list. You call the people that you know live in the state and make sure that they're registered to vote, they're planning to vote, and who are they voting for? That's friend banking in a nutshell, right? Whereas phone banking, this is where you can you can do this. And we're trying really hard to be to to make sure people are coming in. And the messaging is so important. The, the last damn thing you need is a bunch of women from New England calling down to Georgia saying to people, isn't this what you want? Isn't that you should you should want to vote for this person? No, this isn't about you. This is about this is their vote. Do not take their vote away just by the way you're speaking to them. That is wrong. And that's where the, you know, understanding values and being able to say what's, you know, what's important to you in this election? What are you, what are you caring about? What matters to you? And, and understanding who they helps nobody, nobody. It doesn't help incumbents. It doesn't help challengers. It doesn't help people trying to volunteer from coming in. I, that is really the thing that I have absolutely no tolerance for is the I know better kind of personality. Stop it. Just stop it. Um, do you have a favorite to win the uh, Pennsylvania primary? I am a Malcolm Kenyatta fan and I am supporting Malcolm and I want to see Malcolm be heard. And so if you go to uh, his website um, and donate for him, but I think one of the problems with Malcolm's candidacy right now is he is not somebody who comes from money. Okay. And it reminds me a lot of some of the the things that happened in the, you know, how, how we actually set it up. So it's like his, his website is malcolmkenyatta.com and it, and please go there and support him. He needs, he needs every dime. Okay. Um, he doesn't come from, he doesn't have a big bucket of money. One of the things that happened in the presidential primary was that folks who were senators um, who had buckets of money from their senatorial campaign just transferred it over and was able to start to apply that towards their presidential, where you had people like Pete who had nothing to start with and had to really start from nothing. And, and you know, the great and amazing Anthony Mercurio, who worked for Pete and helped get that bucket bigger. God, um, I love and, him so much. Oh my God, Anthony is amazing. Um, but it's that, you know, when you look at this, that that's, that's one of the biggest problems with this is that you don't get to hear amazing candidates like Malcolm. Um, I mean, and Pete, Pete was an anomaly in, in many of these. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm not going to poo 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 all the great work that Anthony and his team did. They did unbelievable Herculean work to raise that money. Okay. Um, and that made them a threat that made him a threat that made him a legit candidate. Okay. But when you're spending so much of your time trying to even just make enough money to pay the bills, that hurts the candidate and that hurts the messaging, right? If 
if Malcolm could just be Malcolm and just be out there and just just speaking what he cares about and his values and the policies he's working for and all that um, and not have to worry about fundraise, fundraise, fundraise. It, I think that really changes things. So for the for the uh, the race in Pennsylvania, I am uh, I am team Malcolm. Um, now, speaking of um, candidates who don't have a lot of money and the constant fundraising during the presidential primary, there was a lot of talk about, you know, oh, candidates shouldn't take super PAC money, no super yeah. PAC money um, mm-hmm. for me personally, like as long as it's not a problematic organization, right. I don't particularly care where the money comes from because you're not nickel and diming me right, to right. support your candidacy. Where do you stand on that? So I am somebody who says, if you're an issues oriented group, like, so say vote vets, or you're with, um, uh, you know, one of the the groups that's protecting like narrow and all that, like, so people who are protecting uh, certain rights and privileges and that sort of thing. I, I don't get into, in, into it. And I, I think we're kind of in the same, same money to spend it on. So it has to be certain, certain things that you can use that money for. Um, I think that when it comes to uh, election funding, um, you know, and, and this was something that came up during the primary and, and they, uh, beat up on different candidates for raising money and who they went to raise money. I mean, you know, I, being that you can only, what was it? $2,500 a person is yeah, that's the, the max. cap, right? I don't care if you're a billionaire putting in $2,500 or you're Lord of O putting in your hundred dollars a month. Okay. Like I, I don't care. All right. And this idea of, oh, well, you shouldn't, I I have a bigger problem with people saying you shouldn't take money from billionaires when there's a $2,500 cap. Yeah. I I have, I have really no, I'm like, this makes no sense to me why you're so ticked off about this. Um, But, you know, and that came up a bit during the campaign. We know that. Um, I think when it becomes problematic is where you see it, um, especially especially um, in the GOP side where there's just gazillions of dollars going into these packs that are just kind of just fueling it. Okay. Um, And that really has to come down to election reform and we have to get rid of that. Um, I'm not as worried about things like vote vets is giving each, you know, each candidate that they're endorsing this amount of money to help run ads. Um, You know, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. um, And that sort of thing. Um, if it meant uh, in election reform that, you know, every, you know, I kind of, like I said earlier, I'm, I, my background's higher education. And at one of the schools I worked at, you know, when it came to student government elections, every student government candidate, if they, if they got enough, you know, if they, they did all the things they had to do to get onto the ballot to be president. Um, and we actually at the school I was working at the time, it, you had to run as a slate. So you had like five people on your slate and this was the slate and they had like a theme name and this was their, their, their policies and blah, blah, blah. And they had to do all these things to get onto the tick, onto the, the ballot. And then once you made it there, every slate got X amount of money and you couldn't go over that and you had to turn in your, your receipts. I wish that we had something more like that. <laughs> in reality. Okay. And because it took away and, and at 
the school I was working at at the time, it, I wasn't working there uh, when this decision was made, but a person I was working with said it took away a lot of the shenanigans and bullshit that happened during student government elections where like, you know, Bobby, who has all kinds of money because his father went to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he went to Wharton and he's got the, you know, he's got an endless font of cash. And he was just giving Bobby all this money so that his people could all, you know, hand out gold bricks to people and say, vote for us. You know, <laughs> um, that went away. Right. That that went away. Okay. Cause Bobby now has the same crappy $750 budget that everybody else had. And so now you're stuck. Right. And so it really took away that the, 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 the distractions of the campaign and made it more about substance. And I really wish that that was more about how reality worked. And this is where my husband would say, here you go again, crazy. <laughs> That's not <laughs> how it's going to happen. And I'm like, but wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if that happened? And he's like, where did the money come from? I don't care. I don't care where the money's going to come from. Just right. give them the money. But, but that to me, when you go back to the Malcolm Kenyatta situation, if, if all three of those folks in the, in the Democratic primary right now all had a set amount of money because they were all filed by a certain date and they were all given this amount of money to do it. Now you're really talking about substance. Who are these people as candidates? Not just about where are we throwing money and how is money being thrown? Um, and, and that's, you know, in the Lord, if Lord of was in charge of the world <laughs> life, that's what I would want. Um, because I think it also brings better candidates to the table, um, and people who may not have access to all the money, um, but have access to great ideas and great leadership. All right. So changing, changing gears again, um, we are going to talk about something. There was a video on that kind of made the rounds on <laughs> Twitter yesterday that Ugh. everybody was talking about. Um, yeah. It uh, featured a lady making cotton candy in yeah. her fucking dryer. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is not the first like food atrocity video. Oh yeah. No, there's been a, th that's been a theme this year is the yeah. food atrocity TikTok videos. Yes. Yes. From making nachos on the counter to no. ice cream sundaes <laughs> in the toilet. Um, <laughs> are people really that bored? Do you think? I, I actually think it's a combination of boredom, lack of understanding about hygiene. And the third thing is, is that you, they think that this is groundbreaking and all you really want to do is like, wow, you have way too much, not just time on your hand, but whatever you're getting paid to do needs to be reevaluated because it cannot say to me that you are that good at your regular job if this is what you're spending time on in your home life. Okay. So we need to have this conversation. The woman yesterday with the, first of all, a lot of people don't even know that the lint trap even exists on their dryer. Okay. So that, that scares me because that, you know, I'm going to put my nerd hat on that can cause a fire and you don't <laughs> want that. And, and that's bad. Right. So now she's doing this. So the way, basically what she did, is she took sugar, um, put it into the dryer drum, takes, uh, aluminum foil, 
covers the lint trap with aluminum foil, shoves it into the lint trap, turns this dryer on, and it doesn't apparently take that long for it to then get sucked into the dryer, uh, into the lint trap. And then you peel it back and you're like, Oh, it's so hot. It's so hot. Oh, so hot. So hot. I'm like, you are lucky. You didn't burn your freaking house down. Okay. And she peels it back. And now, now you have cotton candy you've made in the dryer. So first of all, gross. Second of all, stop it. Third of all, you now have, you don't get to play anymore. You only get to make sandwiches with a, with a, with a butter knife. Okay. And that's all you get to eat. You don't get to eat anything else because I'm done with you and your shenanigans and you should not be allowed to do anything. Okay. And what really pissed me off, Greg, I'm going to be honest with you is that woman had a, like a top of the line dryer that she is putting that. through. Oh yeah. Like it it is a front loader, really nice dryer. (laughs) I priced that dryer. Because somebody, there was somebody in, when I retweeted the video that was like, oh, that's a such and such dryer. And so I went and priced it. That's like a $6,000 dryer. Yeah. Like you don't deserve it. Okay. (laughs) That she's just voided the warranty on. No. And, and if you look at people who've done these, these food atrocity videos, they've have granite countertops, really nice dryers, a top of the line, everything. I'm like, no, no. See, here's the other thing. You don't deserve that stuff. Give it to somebody who deserves it and who really knows how to cook. Because if you're making nachos on a top, literally taking nacho cheese, dumping it on your granite countertop, piling all this stuff up, you no, no, you don't get to, no, you don't get to do that anymore. I'm done with you. (laughs) It, it makes me long for the simpler time of the pandemic when everybody was just making sourdough. I just want <laughs> sourdough and people doing stupid dances with their grandfather. Yeah, like, like that's what I want. And I, I, you know, the, there's that, that saying, everybody's like the pandemic isn't over just because yeah. you're over it, you know? And I, that's people are out there doing this, this stuff. Okay. I'm not saying don't have fun. Like this is what someone's going to say. She doesn't have a sense of humor. Screw you. I have a sense of humor. I know what's funny. (laughs) I know what's fun. I know what's right. But, but you doing stuff like that is, is to me, an attention grabber. You're trying to bring attention to yourself for no good reason at all. And that's not the intended purpose of the dryer. Okay. Now, I will be the first to admit when I was in college, I had, uh, what was that? Uh, Jiffy pop popcorn. Remember that? And oh you yeah. Had yeah, yeah. Like a little tin and you had the thing. And, um, I had a thing of Jiffy pop popcorn and we had no access to a kitchen. So I used the bottom of an iron and I made Jiffy pop on my iron. Okay. Ruined the iron, ruined it, like completely ruined it. And it, the popcorn wasn't that good. Okay. And that was, it was a, when I called my dad and said, I need a new popcorn. He goes, I didn't want you to finish that sentence. You're going to go get a job and you're going to go buy your own <laughs> freaking iron. I'm not going to replace it because you're a dumbass. And I'm like, okay, people who make popcorn on the bottom of an iron, people who make Jiffy pop or sorry, uh, candy, cotton candy in their dryer 
people who make nachos on their countertop need my father to call them and say, you don't deserve it. Don't be a dumbass. You pay to replace it and actually have to do it. So there, this is what we need in the world. There's more nearly 80 year old men who call people dumbasses and then make them pay for it rather than just, you know, take out their credit card and get a new one. I like that. I would, I would give money to that GoFundMe. Like, <laughs> it would be good. I think that we good. could actually get a bunch of like you know, ornery old people in a like, in a right. Slack channel. Could you imagine like this Slack channel, like a bunch of old people <laughs> in a Slack channel who don't understand how Slack works? Okay, but they know that their mission right now is to just like say, okay, we have a guy in Trenton, New Jersey, who has done the following, like, you know, they've they've taken their granite countertops and they have laminated them with a iron, a Rowenta iron, and they need a new iron and new countertop. Okay, I'm on that one. And then they go and they show up at the guy's house and say, hey, dumbass, we're not helping you with this. Your insurance company is not doing this. And by the way, you have to pay it for yourself. And but they get to hang out on the Slack channel together and trying to talk each other. I like that idea. I, I would give money to that just so like I could have access to the Slack channel to I just kind of awesome. and, and see. Look, my son showed me how to use a GIF. <laughs> <laughs> So we have come to um, the part of the show where uh, I play a little game with all my guests. Um, It is the random question game. And I have Mm -hmm. 15 just completely random questions, um, some of which I found on the internet, some of which were sent to me uh, by people on Twitter and Instagram and uh, TikTok. So you ready to play? Ready. Now, is it like one word answers? What do I have to do? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's not like it's not like during the campaign where people would get pissed off at like Kamala Harris for not having a good what pithy one word answer to a question. Yeah. No? Okay, good. Thank God. <laughs> so number one, what website, not app, do you frequent the most? Oh, website I frequent the most is Zoom. <laughs> okay. It's a very pandemic answer. The second one I I look at the most is uh, the New York Times. All right. Sweet tea or lemonade? Uh, uh, Lemonade. All right. Who was your favorite Spice Girl? Oh, that is Sporty Spice. Right on. (laughs) Uh, What is the most terrible thing that you've watched all the way through on Netflix? Does it have to be Netflix? Can it be another streaming? Can be service? any streaming. <laughs> I will say this is I'm probably gonna get booed about this. I did not write like Rutherford Falls on um it's on it's on uh, Peacock and it's made by the same people who did like 30 Rock, and I really wanted more from it. And I'm being like tormented by people who say you you don't like Rutherford Falls. I watched all of it and it was highly unsatisfying. I haven't even heard of that, and I I have Peacock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I okay. guess we're in the same boat then. Okay. Okay. Um, pancakes or waffles? Oh, pancakes. Renaissance not even, fair not, not even close. or <laughs> sci-fi convention? Sci-fi convention. Um, do you have an unusual celebrity crush? Like somebody when you bring it up? Louis Black. Uh, really? <laughs> yes. That was, that was like the fastest anybody's Boom. ever answered that question. 
I love Lewis Black, like, like bad. Okay, I'm gonna tell a quick Lewis Black story. So, okay. Um, I've seen him live like six times. And um, when I was working at Babson College, which is a, a business school in uh, suburbs of Boston, we brought him to school. It wasn't my decisions. My <laughs> students decided to bring him to campus uh, for a show. And so I meet him backstage and um, he, you know, a nice conversation. I'm being very professional. I'm not like licking him or anything ridiculous <laughs> like that. And I leave and because him and, and the kids went to the campus pub after the show. And I'm like, I can't, it, it's not appropriate for me to hang out. So it's just not appropriate. And uh, the students were like, hey, you know, are you seeing anybody? And now married, by the way, I'm married. Okay. And he goes, oh, you know, I was married for a really short time. And I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to date nice ladies like your advisor. <laughs> when you're on the road so much and the students are like, oh, we can make that happen. <laughs> I was like, I, like, don't say that again. <laughs> so anyway. So yes, I absolutely adore Lewis Black. It's just a messed up situation. <laughs> so there. Okay. Um, Bra, always on or only when you have to? Oh, God. No, it's always on. I don't, it would cause hysterical blindness and I'd hurt somebody <laughs> if it was not always on. So, yes, always on. <laughs> not at sleep. I sleep without it off, but, but without it on. But, but the rest of the time, it's, it's not even now. Okay. Uh, sweater or hoodie? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I have moved to the hoodie uh, lately the, in the pandemic world, I have moved to the hoodie. Okay. Um, but I, but I am a, a sucker for a nice V-neck sweater. Okay. Um, if you could have an entire movie theater to yourself and you could watch uh-huh. a movie in the entire world, what would you watch? Oh, actually, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Oh, you never seen yeah. it. It really should only be seen in a movie theater. And you know, I have I have other movies that I love, but I can watch those on television. Not feel like I'm getting you know kind of losing out on the experience. But Kenneth Branagh's uh, Hamlet was probably one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen in the movie theater, and I would want to see that again. Okay. Do you wash your legs in the shower? Oh yeah, absolutely. What is that? That's gross. Yes. Yes. Um, pool or ocean? Oh, um, I am a pool person, even though I live near enough to the ocean. Uh, but the ocean isn't about the swimming for me. The ocean is about the breathing. <laughs> the swim. If it's for swimming, I want to go in the pool. If it's for just hanging out and just lurking, then it's the ocean. Okay. Um, if they were making a biopic about your life, who would play yeah. you? Janine Garofalo. Um, because she and I actually have the same voice. Um, <clears throat> if you listen to Janine Garofalo speak and you listen to me speak, it's almost identical. Now, now, that, you, now that you've said that, I can't yeah. unhear it. No. And, and it's, it's absolutely because when I used to do stand up, okay. So I did stand up for eight years and she was on the, on the, the scene 
uh, at the time. And people are like, here's your problem. I'm like, I have several problems. <laughs> um, and Janine Garofalo and I had a, a very similar tenor um, in our voice. So people were like, I would, I was up on stage one time at a, at a club in Boston at Nick's comedy stop and a comedian came in and he, he said, he thought he honest to God thought it was Janine Garofalo on stage. Um, and was like, Janine's here working out some new material. And he came around the corner. He's like, that's not Janine. <laughs> Nude beach or not a chance. Oh God, no, not a <laughs> chance in hell. I've been on a cruise once where it had like a topless deck and they're like, we want to go up. I'm like, no, <laughs> not a chance in hell. Nope, 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 nope. What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Don't shit where you eat. That's, I mean, you can't argue with that. No, that's the most important piece of advice I've ever received. I give it out as, as much as I possibly can. All right. So one last question that um, I'm just going to throw in here just for you. Okay. When are you going to run for office? Oh my God. You're like the 17th person this month who's asked me that question. I would love to run for office, but I want it to be an office that actually would matter in terms of my skills and where I could actually do good work. Um, and so that's the question is where can I do good work? Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I think it would be a good thing, uh, for the right, for the right office. How's that? Okay. So that I, I don't want to just run to run. Uh, I want to run for purpose and in a place that I can actually make a difference. Okay. All right. So uh, we have reached the end of the episode. Um, tell everybody the uh, names of your shows and where they can find them. Great. Um, so I am on uh, Fireside, which is a new uh, platform. And if you go to the Apple store and you it right now, because it's uh, new, it's only on iOS devices. So uh, you need to have an iPhone or a um iPad. Um, but, uh, in the fall we open up to Android devices and the Google play store, but for right now, you're going to go to fireside. Um, and you'll know you're looking at the right fireside, uh, because you'll see a picture of Mark Cuban. Uh, he is one of the people funding fireside, um, and, uh, Fallon who is our, uh, the queen of fireside. Um, so you'll see pictures of them, uh, and, and you'll know to download it. Um, and once you download fireside, um, you can follow me, uh, there it's Laura last name is DeVoe D E V as in Victor E A U. And, um, I have two shows each week, um, that run consistently ones on Tuesday evenings, that's called the kitchen table. Um, and that is again, my, my political show, uh, tonight, uh, I'm going to be hosting Sunil Shah, um, who is the president of the Asian American fund, um, foundation, excuse me. And next week, uh, Roderick Applebate, who is the, um, communications director for the Michigan Democrats. Um, and so, uh, it's a, a great show, lots of fun. And then on Wednesdays at noontime, um, I do, uh, office hours with Dr. DeVoe and that is my show. That is a higher ed, uh, show. And we do all kinds of wonderful discussions on there about the, uh, insanity of higher education here in the United States. Um, and then, um, the nice thing about the platform is that I can even do limited run shows. So I just did a five part, 
a show down in Provincetown, Massachusetts called COVID is a Drag. And um, I interviewed drag queens and performers and people who wrote out uh, the pandemic uh, down in Provincetown. And um, I'm going to be having that edited into a long form uh, show. But the cool thing about, about uh uh, Fireside is you, once you find me on Fireside, you can go back and play all my replays because they're right there underneath my profile. Um, so uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm DeVoe La and Train. So my last name, DeVoe and Train, like in Choo Choo Train. Um, and uh, that's how to find me on Twitter. And uh, so that's it. Awesome. Um, thank you so much. Uh, this is this has been just absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm glad. This is one of the episodes that I was very excited to record. Um, <laughs> and anytime you want to come back, you just drop me a line, okay? Well, and you're going to be one of my first guests when we get uh, Fireside on um, on uh, on Android. So uh, absolutely, the the uh, the table at the the uh, chair at the kitchen table is open for you, Greg. So, um, but yeah, this was great, and I hope it I hope it works. And I can't wait to hear it. All right. I'll talk and to you, you soon. Keep being yourself. Don't change because <laughs> uh, everybody else on the internet can just, you know, stick it. Um, but you're, you're awesome. So thanks, Greg. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. And if you're on Apple podcasts, leave us a review. If you didn't enjoy this episode, why the fuck are you even still here? If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at don'tmakethisweirdpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at sb83productions, on Instagram at springbreak83productions. Don't Make This Weird is a Spring Break 83 production.